Father, we bow before you, some physically, but all of us bowing our hearts, lowering ourselves underneath your authority, underneath your reign. Father, you are so good. You've done so much. We praise you for the testimonies this morning and the way that you're working in the lives of individuals of Summit Church. We know that you continue to move. We know that you continue uh, to do things that we don't even see. We praise you for that, Lord. Father, we praise you for the cross. We praise you for the work that has set us free. Now, there's nothing we could do to earn it. There's nothing we could do to make it better, but it's a free gift from you. Father, help us this morning as we go to your word. Help us to examine it. Help us to apply it to our own lives. In your son's name we pray. All right. Well, hey, as you stand or sit, Summit Kids and those helping with Summit Kids this morning, you are excused. Head on out. Do you guys have a special day planned with field day? Helpers and high school students who might be helping and parents, go ahead and make your way out back. Awesome. All right. Here's a question I want us to think about this morning. You're going to see on the screen here, what does saving faith look like? What does saving faith look like? We're going to talk about a couple different types of faith this morning. But really, only one faith is genuine. Only one faith is real. Only one faith is sufficient. And that's saving faith. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to James 2. All the scripture will be on the screen. So if you don't have your Bible, no need to panic. Uh, But we're going to turn there in a second. But here's the first thing I want us to look at. If you see this equation on the screen, faith plus works equals salvation. Faith plus works equals salvation. Hopefully an alarm's going off in your mind, right? Of like, well, wait a second. What's this works thing all about? What's Sam saying? We can go to scripture to see that this is probably not the most accurate way to describe the relationship between faith and salvation. Look at this. Look at Ephesians 2.8. It'll be on the screen. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Romans 3.28. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And in Galatians 2.16, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. All three of those are written by the Apostle Paul, and it seems like he's hammering home this idea, which most of us know to be true, and whether we have a title for it or not, the doctrine of justification. You're justified, you're saved by faith alone. Right? Amen. We don't have to work, we don't have to do anything to earn it. But what about this equation? Faith plus works equals salvation. Well, here's probably a a better way to look at it. Let's take works out of the equation, right? Faith, I was going to say minus works, but let's just remove it. Faith equals salvation. Amen? That's great news. That's great news that we don't have to earn it. 
The work is done by Christ and Christ alone, right? He came, he lived a sinless life for us in our position. He paid the penalty for our sinful life that we owed. And therefore, our faith in him equates to salvation. That's great news for us. We don't have to work to earn salvation. But here's what I'm going to propose to you this morning. I'm going to propose that this is an incomplete view of faith. I'm going to propose that faith equals salvation plus works. Notice the difference. Works moved from the left side of the equation to the right. So rather, it's a product of your faith, not part of the equation to earn your faith. Hopefully you see the difference there. But I believe that what we see today in James, that true faith expresses itself in two ways. Not sure why I held up three fingers. I could have done that. I could have done that. But I went like that. Two ways that faith expresses itself. One is salvation. I think we're very accustomed to that. right? If you call Jesus your Lord and you bow your life to him and he's your Savior, then you have salvation. But guess what? There's another product of faith, and it should be works. So let's turn now. To what James wrote in James chapter 2. It's on the screen. Feel free to follow along or tune out. It's up to you. Hopefully you follow along. He says this, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works? When, we, when he offered up his sin, excuse me, when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar, you see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Seems like an interesting contrast, right? You have Paul saying justification happens by faith alone. You have James very clearly saying you're justified by your works and not by faith alone. Some people don't know what to do with that. So they say, yeah, Paul's ideology of justification is more, uh, more consistent throughout the theme of Scripture, which is true. So we just, let's just push James aside. Maybe just like whoever decided James should be part of the Bible, they were wrong. It shouldn't be there. Martin Luther even described James as an epistle of straw. Right? Martin Luther didn't know what to do. He's like, yeah, James, you know, it's there, but we just want to talk about James because I'm not sure what he's trying to say. Well, I don't think I'm smarter than Martin Luther, but I think that we can see how James is working in conjunction with Paul and not opposed to Paul. 
So look at the question he asks. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? I'm sure if I asked you guys, hey, who wants to be saved? I would assume all of us in this room would be like, yeah, absolutely. I want to be saved. I don't want to spend eternity burning in hell, right? But James looks at a few different kinds of faith that we're going to look at here right now. He says, faith that is dead and faith that is useless. Look at verse 17. Faith by itself, it does not have works, is dead. Verse 20 says, faith apart from works is useless. Verse 26, faith apart from works is dead. So it seems very clear that James is like, listen, if you're not doing the work and you just have faith, you're useless. You're dead. You have nothing. You don't have saving faith. You're not really saved. Maybe that does something inside. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. What is this? Like works-based theology? What's going on here? No, it's not. And here's why. First, let's look at dead faith. What does dead faith look like? In verses 15 through 17, James says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. What James is saying here is, Hey, just to say you have faith, but you're walking by people who need help. You're not looking out for your neighbors. You're not looking out for your brothers. He's saying, well wishes without action? That's dead faith. That's not real faith. I think sometimes we do this in the following way. And I'm guilty of this myself. Someone tells you a very difficult situation that they're in. And you're like, oh man, that's tough, yeah. Well, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. Well, God's got you. God will take care of it. And that's not wrong. Obviously, prayer is obviously always a good thing. But it's incomplete when God places you intentionally in a position to help someone. Right? Imagine your neighbor coming over and they're like, hey, guess what? My, uh, my lawnmower just broke down. I really need to mow my lawn. I wish I knew someone with a lawnmower. Well, I'll pray that your lawnmower starts working. Now I've got to go mow my lawn. That's like, that's what this is. I'll, I'll just, I'll wish you well. Hey, be warm, be filled, but I'm not actually doing anything to meet the needs. Now, sometimes prayer is all we can do, right? Let's acknowledge that. There's certain situations that we're removed from or we don't have the resources to help. And all we can do is pray. Prayer is powerful. Hear that. Prayer is powerful. But that's not what James is talking about. He's not diminishing the power of prayer. He's diminishing using well wishes as an excuse for not actually getting in the game and getting a little dirt on your knees and helping people. It's a call to action of saying, hey, yeah, pray, but also sometimes God wants you to get in the game, to do something, to be active. Dead faith. That's what it looks like. I'll pray for you. I hope things go well. Just empty words, right? Let's look at the next one. Let's look at useless faith. What does useless faith look like? Verse 19, 20, it says, You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? The word he uses there for foolish, the original word could also be translated as empty. 
You're foolish. You're empty if you think that. You have nothing to offer. Even the demons believe. What's he saying here? Even the demons believe and shudder. Even the demons have belief that God is real. Even the demons have knowledge of who God is. And demons have even a fear of God. Now, demons aren't saved by any means, right? Matthew 25, 41 is very clear that God prepared a place for Satan and his angels. The demons all report to Satan, right? The forces of evil that are demons, God prepared a place for them into the eternal fire. That's what Matthew 25, 41 says. So demons cannot be saved. But here's what you need to understand. Demons know more about God than you do. Demons have better theology than any of us. Demons have better doctrine than any of us. They're not saved. What James is getting at here is, hey, look, your knowledge, your acquiring of intellectual things and theology and doctrine, again, not bad, but it doesn't save you. Even the demons believe and they shudder. How many, of, how many of us shudder before God, recognizing, hey, he could do whatever he wants to me. He is the, the author of my life. I am indebted to him. If it weren't for the work of the cross, I'm right there with the demons, cast into eternal fire, right? But James is saying, look, this is useless. Just to know about God, just to have a bunch of theology and smart things to say and spout off to other people so you sound really Christian— that's not enough. You got to put it into action. You have to live it out. So there's two negative examples. But then he continues on. What does saving faith look like? So we've seen dead faith. We've seen useless faith, which are both kind of the same, right? It's either faith is kind of black and white. Either it's good or it's not good. Either it's actually saving you or it's not actually saving you. Well, the knowledge isn't saving the demons. They're cast into the eternal fire. So it's not about just knowing a bunch of information. It's not about just wishing people well. What is it actually about? Look at verse 21. James poses this question. Was Abraham our father, or sorry, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son on the altar. Later on, he says something similar, verse 25, about Rahab. In the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? So he cites two different examples. Right? He's saying, hey, we all know Genesis. What about Abraham. Scripture says Abraham was justified by his works. What about Rahab in Joshua 2 through 6? Same thing. Rahab received people that she probably shouldn't have received. She was doing things she probably shouldn't be doing. But it says that she was justified by her works. It doesn't say anything about their knowledge of God and theology. It doesn't say anything about their prayer life, but that they were in action. Interesting note. He continues, verse 22, he says, You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works, referring to Abraham. The scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person 
is justified by works and not by faith alone. Two things there that I think are examples of saving faith. He says faith was active. We're going to talk about that in a second. He says faith was completed by the works. Not dead, not useless, but active and completed. It's interesting, if you start to look at the words that are used there, let's talk about active first, okay? The word active is the same word used in Romans 8.28. Popular verse, many of us know it, all right? God's working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Working together. That's the same word that's used here for active. So that would imply, you see that faith was working together with his works. That's essentially how this could be translated. Faith was working over here. His works were working over here. And together they did what? Next line there is faith was completed by his works. Now I think this is very awesome. So I hope you are paying attention to this. Not because I have anything to say, but this is what the word says. The word there which I won't even try to pronounce because then I would look like a foolish person. But the word there implies to complete a task or to bring to perfection. Think about that. To bring to perfection. To finish. That word is used all throughout Scripture, always referring to something being completed, something being finished. So your faith was complete. Can you go back to the last slide for a second? Your faith was completed by your works. That's true saving faith. Active and completed. Not dead and useless. Here's how I reword it on the bottom of the blue. Faith that works together with works, the things that you do, is a faith brought to completion. The things that you do matter. The actions we take matter. Now, right now, I'm sure some of you are wondering, well, how does that even work? So, you're saying we're saved by the things we do? James seems to think so. He said, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, hold on a minute, James. Simmer down. This is why studying is important. This is why we need to be Berean to understand what is the scripture really saying here? I know we probably all wrestle with the temptation when we face things in scripture that are confusing or not clear. Just go, oh, I'll just, I'll skip that verse. I'll keep reading. I'll go find something that's a little easier to study. Look at this. Here's the word that's used. Up at the top there, those crazy letters. It's pronounced something like this. Dikai. A-O. Dikai A-O. Can you say that? Are we awake? Come on. Dikai A-O. Okay, so a few of you are awake. A few of you don't care about original languages. That's fine. But here's why it's important, okay? Paul uses this word all throughout his epistles. James uses it as well. If you look here on the screen, you'll see Paul uses it 14 times in Romans. He uses it in 1 Corinthians, Galatians, Titus, 1 Timothy. And James uses the same word three times in his writing, all in what we're looking at this morning. This idea of being justified, dikaio. And what does that really mean? They're using the same word. Well, what are some definitions? 
This might help us, right? If you want to understand a word, good look at definitions. This word can mean to vindicate in judgment. It can also be to declare or pronounce as righteous or just. But here's what's interesting. There's another definition, another way to use this word. Just like the way that I could say the word rock, and you could be thinking about a stone. You'd be thinking about rock and roll, right? You'd be thinking about something that's really stable, like, oh, man, that's a rock. That's stable. You'd be thinking about the actor, the rock, right? So the rock could mean a lot of different things depending on the context. The third definition that's important to see here is it can also mean to show or demonstrate or prove to be right. So here's what I'm going to propose to you this morning, that Paul uses it in a way that James doesn't use it. Same word used differently to complement one another. Paul is declaring justification by faith alone. That's true. James is declaring justification by works. That's also true. And here's why. Look at this example here. Romans 4. This is one of the places that Paul uses it. He says, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. But not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted in his righteousness. So Paul's saying, he is not, he, if he was, he had nothing to boast. So he, he wasn't, right? It was just faith. James references the same passage. He says, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. If you look at those bottom three lines, they're both coming from Genesis 15. They're both referring to the same passage in Scripture, but they're talking about it in different ways. This is one example of the same word being used by Paul and James. So let's do a case study. Let's look at Abraham. He talks about Rahab as as well, but he focuses a little bit more on Abraham to make his point here. He says this, 21 through 23, we just read it. Was Abraham, was not Abraham our father justified by works? What's interesting here is he's quoting, at the end, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He's quoting Genesis 15, verse 6. But he's referring to something else. He's referring to the sacrifice of Isaac, or the near sacrifice, rather. Genesis 22. Two different parts of Scripture that he's he's pulling together to make a point here. Now, here's what's interesting. If you know, sometimes the Bible operates chronologically. Most of the time it does. Genesis 15 was written about 10 to 12 years before Genesis 22 was written. So that begs the question. When was Abraham actually justified? Was he justified in Genesis 15 when the Lord said that he was justified? Or was he actually justified in Genesis 22 when he did the action... That James says that's when he was justified, when he took his son to the altar. 10 to 12 year difference. When was he actually justified? Look at, if you have your Bible open, it'll be on the screen. Genesis 22, verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. That's important. Here's why. Genesis 15, he says, you're justified. You believed, you're justified. Your faith has justified you. Genesis 22, he says, 
hey, Abraham, it's time to test your faith. It's time to prove that your faith is really real. It's time to prove with some action that what you said to me 10 to 12 years ago is actually legit. More than just making a proclamation with your voice, let's see. So, was Abraham justified in Genesis 15 or Genesis 22? The answer is yes. Confusing, isn't it? He was justified in Genesis 15. He was also justified in Genesis 22. And here's why. Let's go back to the word, dikai-a-o. Two different uses. Talking about the same thing. So what is being said? Paul's saying, hey, look, Abraham was justified by his faith when he believed in God. His faith alone is what justified him. And James is saying, yep, that is true. And also he was proving that he was justified by his actions. Both and. All of us are constantly proving that our faith is real by our actions. That's what James wants you to see. James wrote this in a response to Paul's writings to say, Hey, listen, y'all. Y'all are claiming so much to this faith alone aspect that you're doing nothing. You're living life however you want. And you're saying, I believe in Jesus. I don't have to actually do anything. My faith is in him. And James is saying, okay, if it's real faith, that's not how it works. Real faith brings action. Real faith brings deeds. Not just so that you would be saved, but to prove that you actually are. Do you understand the difference? This isn't works-based theology. James is saying, hey, you need to show and demonstrate and prove that you're justified by the way that you live. Not working for salvation. We talked about this in Titus, right? But working from salvation. I'm coming from a place of being saved. James says, you see that a person is justified by, by works and not by faith alone. So let's go back to our opening equation. Do you see it? Faith equals both salvation and works. There's two products of true faith. In your life, we all have to ask the question, is my faith genuine? Is my faith real saving faith? Or is my faith dead and useless? Nobody wants dead, useless faith. I think we all want saving faith. We all want our faith to be genuine. Well, genuine faith is proved through testing, through the way you live your life. Understand this. This isn't a message from James about how to get saved or how to be saved or how to get right with God. This isn't, hey, you guys need to go and you need to find stuff to do. Just go do stuff. Y'all need to volunteer more. You need to serve in children's ministry. You need to be on stage singing. You need to start doing more stuff. That could be true, but that's not the point. See, there's two types of obedience. There's obedience out of avoiding something or getting something, right? If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. Hey, we need you to do this. And if you don't, this is what's going to happen. There's a consequence whether you do this or you don't do this. Or there's a reward if you do this. That's not genuine faith. Genuine faith is a loving obedience put into action. Not because we get anything out of it. Not because we're avoiding anything. It's not, oh, I'm going to obey and do all these things and serve in all these places. And hopefully I acquire enough service points so I don't get sent to hell. 
That's not the point. The point is, I'm going to reveal my love for Christ, for what he did for me on the cross, and the way that I live. No, it's, it's not. Faith equals salvation. I'm not the math person. Parentheses, only if you do works. No, that's not the point. It's, hey, if you have genuine faith, works should flow out of that automatically. It's not go and do more and work harder, but your heart, if you're genuinely saved, will want to obey God because you'll recognize the great gift of the cross and say, wow, I deserve nothing. I'm full of wrath. I should be sentenced to hell with the demons and all those other folk. But guess what? I'm not. I'm saved. And therefore, I owe everything to God, right? He doesn't need anything from me, but I'm going to give it all to him. I'm going to declare his goodness in my life by the way that I live, by the things I say, by the way I interact with others. I'm going to be set apart and be different. My actions are going to reveal that my faith is genuine. This is about knowing that your faith is real saving faith. So if you're sitting here like, oh, is my faith real? Here's what I would ask. If we put your life under a microscope, and we examined your life, what would it reveal? Some of you know I'm a sports fan. In sports, they do these things. They're like, they call them like a blind resume. So they take two players, one who usually is like well-known and really popular, and everyone is like, oh yeah, he's an all-star. And then one who's maybe lesser known, but what they do is they remove their names and faces, and they show their statistics for the season. And often it's surprising, sometimes in our minds we think of certain players as being way better than they are, when there's this other person who's well, like less known, not paid as well, but you look at their statistics, and the less known guy sometimes has better statistics than the well-known all-star guy. And they put the names on the screen. They're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that he has a better batting average than him or he's hit more home runs than him. If we did a blind resume evaluation and we put your life up on the screen or my life and we put a non-believer's life on the screen, there was no names attached. Would you even be able to tell whose is who? Does your life look any different? Would people look at your life and be like, oh yeah, I can tell that they have true, genuine faith. Not just because they say it, but because of the way they live. Because they're willing to take their son up the mountain and sacrifice their son. Because they're willing to risk their life like Rahab and take people in and send them out because they know and fear God. That's the people we ought to be to prove our faith through our action. We all have to wrestle with this. None of us are exempt. If we ever think that our faith is just good enough, That's a dangerous thought. So I hope all of us examine and think, okay, based on what Paul says, Paul says my faith or my salvation is by faith alone. James says I'm justified by my works. Those are both true. Look at the last verse, verse 26. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, So also faith apart from works is dead. James is saying, hey, they're inseparable. It's not just like, well, I'm saved. I have my Jesus. That's all I need. No, no, no. Get in the game. It's like, okay, that's your ticket. Here's your ticket to the game. You're saved. You're in the door. Now guess what? Now get involved. Get in the game. 
Sometimes that's within the body of Summit here at church. Sometimes that's within your community. Sometimes that's within your workplace. But it's responding to needs and loving people in the way that Jesus would just show, look, my faith is genuine. My time is not as valuable as I think it is. My money is not as valuable as I think it is. Because guess what? God's in charge of time. God's in charge of my money. I'm willing to give it all away. I'll do whatever God asks of me to show my faith is genuine. As many of you probably are aware uh, Tim Keller passed away about a week and a few days ago. Very influential pastor, author uh, in New York City. Um, Jasper and I were talking this last week and how Tim Keller did this wonderful thing where he always was faithful to scripture, but always like got along with all parties. Where it's like, oh, the hyper-Calvinist guy and the hyper-Arminian guy. And Tim Keller somehow just like, yeah, like we're all like, on this, like very united with everyone, but very wise in his words. And so it seemed fitting to finish with this quote from Tim Keller. He said this, We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. He's saying the same things that James said. Hey, your faith can't just remain alone. It needs to work together. Romans 8, 28, same word. It needs to work together, be active with your works so that your works would complete it and bring it to full, perfecting faith. Completed faith. A task that's accomplished by the works. What kind of faith do you have? What does saving faith look like? And do each of us have it? This is a question I have to wrestle with myself. I was laying in bed last night thinking, man, I'm going to preach this sermon tomorrow. Do I have saving faith? I hope that you wrestle with that same question. And that you take it seriously and think, okay, I don't want to just go through the motions. I don't want to do things out of fear of being sentenced to hell or being condemned or any of those things. I want to just live my life for Jesus and to be obedient to him, whatever he asks of me, no matter how hard that is. Help me to do that. I need that faith, Lord. Only you can generate it. Give me that faith. Let's pray. Father, I'm not sure why it just seems so hard sometimes. It's hard to live differently. It would be so much easier if you just gave us a free pass to do whatever we wanted, to live in whatever way we wanted, Lord. But you didn't. You called us to something different. You called us to be set apart, to live our lives differently. Lord, I pray for myself. I pray for each person in this room that you would show us the ways that our faith is dead and that our faith is useless, and then point us to the ways that our faith can be active and completed, to be real saving faith, that we could be like Abraham, willing to do whatever you ask, willing to give our only son for your sake, not asking why, not pouting about it, not trying to get out of it, but saying, okay, Lord, here I am. I'm ready for the test. I'm ready to prove my faith is real. I'm ready to be justified by my faith and justified by my works. Father, show us each what that looks like. Help us to glorify you in it. We know that we can only do it through the power of your Son. In Jesus' name we pray.